invite you to open a Bible if you have one with you, uh, whether hard copy or on a phone or tablet, whatever it may be, to the book of Joel. Joel is in the Old Testament, so if you find Psalms and then make your way to some of the larger prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, you'll come after Ezekiel to Daniel, Hosea, and then three-chapter book, Joel. That has so much to say uh, about uh, prophecy, has so much to say about uh, the day of the Lord quoted and foundational for New Testament understanding uh, of the return of Christ and of God making everything right, of putting things back in order when Jesus comes. And so last week we looked at a large portion of the book of Joel. We looked from chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 27. Today we're looking at a much smaller section, chapter 2 verses 28 through 32, and uh, looking at the topic, living in the last days. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. You can fill in the, uh, the small fill-in-the-blank sections there, and if you're a note-taker, you can do that. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. I invite you to follow along as we would look into God's Word together. Joel's prophecy says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people, Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone, verse 32, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his written word. Four words for every family with kids that drive you nuts on a long drive. What are they? What are they? Are we there yet, right? Are we there yet? I drove my parents nuts with it, and I'm sure that my parents, or that I know that, that I have been driven nuts by it as well. It's one of those things, as you're on those long road trips, as it's just mile after mile after mile after mile, are we there yet. And the thing about it that drives you so nuts is that there is absolutely no way to speed it up except just to keep focused on the destination and to stay focused on all those goody bags and games and the license plate game, all of those things that you play to pass the time as you go. There's no way you can't speed it up. You can't get there any quicker. You just have to go mile by mile until the destination comes. You know, it's true as well for the day of the Lord. It will come when it's time. The Lord has set it. The time is moving towards it. The history, human history, God is moving human history toward it. But it doesn't mean, even though that is there, it doesn't mean that we get kind of angsty and we get kind of impatient and we're like, okay, when's this going to happen? Our role is to live expectantly, And to live faithfully as we wait. And even as we cry out, are we (laughs) there yet? 
You know, ever since the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, we've been living in the last days. You know, when we hear the last days, sometimes we think, okay, any moment now. But as we'll see in a moment, from the day of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago, we have been living in the last days. It's a biblical phrase. Sometimes we think, oh, man, God must be slow. Peter says the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises, but he's waiting for as many people to come to repentance as possible. And for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And so these ideas of day of the Lord and the last days, it's a period of time that is coming that will be culminated with the return of Christ and what the Bible calls the great day of the Lord. I think we can confidently say that every generation, beginning with the apostles, has believed that Jesus was coming back soon and that he was coming back in their day. And though he hasn't returned yet, we are confident and know from Scripture that he will. And no matter when he does return, we have certainty for how we are to live in these last days. This morning, we want to look from the book of Joel at uh, the way in which we are to live in openness to him. Three ways to live open to the Lord this morning as we live here in the last days. The first in your sermon notes is to live wide open to the Spirit. To live wide open to the Spirit. Last week, we talked about from the first... uh, almost two chapters of Joel. We talked about calamity. The locust had come, and uh, it was a, a picture, too, of, of the judgment of the Lord on his people Judah. But it was also picturing forward a greater destruction, a greater calamity when God's judgment would come. But the, the good news and what Joel was calling for, he was calling for wholehearted seeking, for desperate seeking and wholehearted repentance back to the Lord. That Joel was saying, all of these things are pictures. They're to get us ready. They're to prepare the people of God. And today, it's to prepare the people of God, the church, to come back in wholehearted repentance to him. Not garment-ripping, garment-rending repentance that is outward, but heart-rending repentance. Where it's so deep that we don't know that we can ever come back from the place of repentance. It's that deep that our only hope, we are that broken by our sin and by our condition before God. The only hope that we have is for God to come by his spirit and put us back together. But he's a God who offers and promises forgiveness when we come to that place. And he's a God who offers and promises restoration when we come to that place. Last week I I challenged us that we would take a, a day in the week, and I encourage you to do it again this week if you have last week, and if you haven't, just to pick it up this week in some way, shape, or form to fast and to seek the Lord, to, to deprive yourself of food or something else and just say, Lord, here I am. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperately seeking. I'm wholeheartedly coming. Show me any ways that I have offended you because I know that you're a God of forgiveness, and I know you're a God of restoration. And so last week, that's where we were in those first almost two chapters. Which is why then Joel begins verse 28 of chapter 2 by saying, and afterward. 
and afterward. After this place of seeking, after this place of heart-rending repentance, after this place of forgiveness, after this place of restoration, and afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. God promises to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. In the book of Numbers, Moses is in the desert with the Israelites. And they're in the midst of wandering, in the midst of on their way, their journey to the promised land. And they're frustrated and they are starting to regret the fact that they left, even though bondage was so bad, they had all this good food to eat back in Egypt, and they begin to complain. Moses comes to the Lord, and he's frustrated, and the Lord promises he's going to give them quail to eat, give them some meat, because all they've had is manna to that day. But Moses comes to the Lord, he comes to him at the tent of meeting, and he's frustrated, and he says, Lord, I, I can't do this by myself. I can't lead this people. I can't minister to this people on my own. And so the Lord says, gather the 70 elders of Israel, bring them to the tent of meeting, and there I will take my spirit that I have put on you alone, and I will put it on the 70 elders, and they will carry the weight of leadership, the weight of ministry with you. It won't be by yourself. I'll put my spirit, not just on you, but on 70 others. So they gather together and the cloud of the manifest presence of the Lord comes down and the spirit that was on Moses rests on the 70 elders except there's two guys, Eldad and Medad. Now, I'm still confused why we don't have many Eldads and Medads around. It's a biblical name. People name their kids biblical names all the time. I'm looking for an arising of Eldads and Medads. But Eldad and Medad were the two that were not there at the tent of meeting. They stayed in the camp for some reason, we're told. And when the Spirit of God came down on the 70 elders, 68 of them at the tent of meeting began to prophesy, began to speak the words of the Lord. And those two guys, Eldad and Medad, in the camp, they began to prophesy as well because the Spirit had come down on all 70 of them. And a young man runs out to the tent of meeting to report to Joshua, who had been as an advisor and a helper to Moses, the one who would take over after Moses died and lead the people into the promised land. This young man comes to Joshua and says, Eldad and Medad, they are prophesying in the camp too. And Joshua's kind of frustrated with this. He's mad. He's like, what's going on? Moses, you're the guy. What's up with this? Even those guys who aren't here, they get to prophesy. The Spirit's on them. What's going on? And Moses' response, you see his character in his response. He says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. You see, Moses' heart's cry. I wish that the Lord would not just put his spirit on me. And I wish 
that the Lord would not just put his spirit on the 70 elders. I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on all peoples. Hundreds of years later, Joel prophesies this. He takes Moses' desire of what the Lord, what Moses wanted the Lord to do, and what the Lord says, I will do afterward. Putting the Spirit of God on all people. Moses' heart's cry becomes Joel's prophecy of what will happen in the day of the Lord in the last days. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, at Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes down and fills and baptizes and fills the disciples and those who were in the upper room, and they come out and they're speaking in the tongues of all the people who had gathered on Pentecost, everyone thinks, oh, everyone's drunk because of their speaking. This is crazy. Everyone's speaking a different language. What's going on? And Peter gets up and speaks to the crowd, and he tells them this. He's like, it's, it, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And he says this, in the last days. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And he says, in the last days. In other words, Peter is saying, we are now in the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Does that sound familiar? He is quoting Joel chapter 2. Peter is saying, what Moses desired... And Joel prophesied, and even Jesus promised to his disciples in John 14 to 16. He says, here it is. It has come. We are living in the last days, Peter says. And in those last days, God's spirit will be poured out on all people. Pentecost triggered the last days as the spirit of God was poured out. Friends, do you recognize how privileged we are to live in the days that we live? <laughs> Moses longed for this a couple thousand years ago. Joel prophesied it, and Peter says at Pentecost, after Jesus comes, dies, is resurrected, ascends into heaven, and sends the Spirit at Pentecost. From here on out, we are living in privileged days when the Spirit of God does not just come on a pastor or an elder. When the Spirit of God comes on every single person. When there is now no distinguishing of rank, There is now no distinguishing of gender. There is now no distinguishing of age. Young, old, male, female. Everyone has the potential to have the Spirit of God. We are living in privileged days. 
Everyone. Everyone. May we be wide, wide, wide open to all that the Holy Spirit has in his person, all that the Holy Spirit has in his works, all that he has. That we would say yes to fresh fillings, that we would say yes to his power, that we would say yes to his presence, that we would say yes to dreams and visions and words of prophecy and words of knowledge, that we would say yes to everything that the Spirit of God would have for his people, that our answer would be yes. Wide, wide open. For we live in privileged days. Dr. John Stumbo, who is the president of our movement, our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, does a um, 12-minute blog on the 12th day of every month. He's the 12th president, so, you know, he's kind of cool, you know, found this thing, 12th president on the 12th day of the month, you know, 12 minutes. And this week, I think it was like number 99 of these that he's done. He came out with this, and he was talking about the privileged days, interestingly, of, of the Spirit and how we need the Spirit and to be encouraged by the Spirit. And he, he shared a story of the long time when he was walking with the Lord. He viewed and, uh, the Holy Spirit as kind of like a well of water that was deep and unending, and his life was like a bucket, and he would come to the Lord, and he would come to the Holy Spirit, and he would let that bucket down, and he would have it filled up, and then he would go and pour it out. And this was his, his view, and it was accurate, and the Lord had used that picture and used that in his life over and over and over, and it drove him back, Holy Spirit, I need fresh encounters, fresh filling, because I get dry on my own, I can't do this on my own. And one day as he was in a time of prayer with the Lord, there was a, a short change to that vision. And instead, he was envisioning that, that bucket going down into the well to get the water of the Spirit to come up and to fill him and to refresh him and to empower him. And all of a sudden, the Lord in this vision tore the bottom of the bucket out. And all of a sudden, he said, oh no. <laughs> Here's the thing that I have been depending on all of my life. What am I going to do? There's no way that I'm going to be able to pull this bucket up that my life is going to hold the presence of the Spirit anymore if the bucket doesn't have a bottom. How am I going to get, how am I going to access the Spirit's presence? And in a moment, the image changed. That bucket got turned sideways and the well turned into a flowing river and the Lord said, don't just keep coming to me to get and to then be poured out. Come to me and let me flow through you by my spirit. I thought that's a powerful, powerful image that the Lord gave to him. And doesn't that communicate being wide open? Lord, I'm, my life is simply a conduit to you. Would you flow through me? Holy Spirit, would you flow through? Would you pour yourself out upon me and through me? Would you refresh me? Would you empower me? Would you strengthen me? Would you enable me to live holy? Would you enable me to live like Jesus, empowered to share the good news of the kingdom here and to the ends of the earth? Would you do it? Would you flow wide open through me? We live in privileged days where this is possible. Friends, may we be people who say yes to whatever the Spirit wants to do. May we hunger and thirst, and may we not be satisfied with what the Spirit has done in our lives before. 
May we hunger and thirst and may times of, of fasting, may times of heart-rending repentance, may they lead us to places where we say, God, we're desperate for an outpouring and a filling of your spirit and a movement of your spirit in our lives that we cannot contain that's just gonna flow wide through us in our individual lives through our church for the sake of your glory in the kingdom. We live in privileged days. May we live wide open to the spirit. Second area to live open to is to live eyes open to Jesus' return. Live eyes open to Jesus' return. You know, when, when Jesus was born at his first coming, as we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, at his first, at his first coming, a single star announced his arrival. A single star. As his second coming approaches, Joel says the whole cosmos is going to begin to declare it. From one star to the whole cosmos, verses 30 to 31, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and and dreadful day of the Lord. Excuse me. Peter quotes this again in his sermon at Pentecost. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Jesus affirmed all of this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31, as he talked about his return in the day of the Lord. Immediately after the the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the others. The cosmos, the planets, the sun, the moon will declare the coming of the Lord. These are those things that sometimes we're like, ooh, this makes me unsettled. But there's a crying out of all of creation and there is a, a declaring that Jesus will come. In the last days we see these things. As a result, we, we need to be people who are watching and who are aware of the signs. Now, let me just encourage us in this. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up with the signs and watching for the signs that we may miss the point, and that is the one who is coming. Jesus says to be aware and to be watching. Joel says in the last days, these things are going to happen, and when they begin to happen, these are the signs that he is on his way. Jesus is coming. But so often, it's easy to get focused on the signs that we miss the reason for the sign, and that is the announcing of the one who is coming. It it would be like if you're driving in everybody's favorite area of Pittsburgh on the Fort Pitt Bridge going into the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Everybody loves that spot. 
being in Pittsburgh five years, I feel good that Pittsburghers who have lived here forever say that is the worst place ever. But here's what it would be like. It would be like driving across the Fort Pitt Bridge, getting ready to go into the Fort Pitt Tunnel, and you start looking at the signs like, wow, that sign is really nice. Look at that sign. Well, look at that sign. Some of, some of the letters are starting to, to get kind of dirty and eroded. I think, they need to, I think they need to replace that sign. And you start looking at the sign and looking at the sign. Michelle, you, you showed what would happen. Boom. Or honk. Or you're going to miss completely where you're going. Because the focus is not the sign. The sign gives direction on where you're going. And so often... When we think of the signs and, and we, we look at these prophecies, we can get focused on the signs and miss the reason for the sign. And the reason for the sign is to declare that Jesus is coming. And the reason for the sign is so that we are ready. Friends, hear me on this. In the last days, there should be no Christian who would be caught unprepared for the return of Christ. There should be no Christian who, if Jesus were to return right this moment, would be going, oh, I got some things to get in order. I have some heart-rending repentance to go through. I have some ways that, boy, I've been living this way, and the Lord's been, he's been, he's been convicting me, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, but, you know, I haven't been focused. We should not be caught in a moment if Jesus were to return and go, man, there were some things that I don't have quite ready. These are the the points of of what Joel is calling out. He's saying, in the last days, the Spirit will be poured out. There's going to be signs that will be able to prepare you and to show that Jesus is coming. Soon, live eyes open for the return of Jesus. It helps us to anticipate his coming, to be ready for his coming, to be looking for his coming. The signs point us to him. He is the one we're looking for. Lastly, live indiscriminately open to God's grace. Live indiscriminately open to God's grace. Joel concludes this passage in verse 32 by saying, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Joel concludes by saying that everyone, Jew and Gentile, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how Peter concludes that section in Acts 2.21, he just simply ends it with, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are in the day, in the last days, in which everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Indiscriminately open to God's grace. God's grace is indiscriminately open to everyone. If you would turn to the last section that we'll look at today. If you're in the book of Joel, turn to the New Testament. You find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 10. This is where we'll, we'll conclude this morning. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. Joel prophesies it in the last day. Peter includes it at Pentecost. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul includes it in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, here it is. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone. Can you say it with me? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in Paul's day, that was huge. This is not some statement of fact. This is statement of loyalty, statement of declaration of who Jesus is. In Paul's day, Caesar was Lord. He was God. To say that Jesus was Lord was to say that Caesar was not. And to say that Caesar was not would be punishable potentially by death. It's why many were thrown in the lion's den, or in the Colosseum to the lion's, Many were persecuted and killed because they said, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is crazy, right? (laughs) That God would raise somebody from the dead and they would, fully God and fully man, the person of Jesus ascend to heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and one day be coming back. I mean, that's kind of crazy stuff. But it is life-changing, life-saving stuff. And everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from from the dead, what does it say? Will be saved. It's indiscriminately, it's indiscriminate grace. So hear what this means. This means that the person who is the most right-wing to the moderate, to the most leftist, what does it say? Everyone in there, if they believe in their heart, believe, or confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart, that they will say, everyone in that wide range will be saved. It means that the hardest working person all the way to the person who intentionally, by choice, lives off of assistance, not by need, but by choice, everyone in that wide range will be what? Saved. It means that the most religious person that goes to church every day to the person who never goes to church and would say, I don't want anything to do with God, but they hear about Jesus, everyone in that range who comes to Jesus will be saved. It means that the refugee who has been driven from their land, not by their choice, but by their situation, all the way to the one who has immigrated for a better life, all the way to the illegal alien, everyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord will be what? 
saved. It means from the oppressed Afghans all the way to their Taliban oppressors, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, as I, I share those wide-ranging areas, there's probably some of you who, there's some that'd be like, yeah, absolutely, those people would be saved. And if you go to one side or the other, you start to go a little bit like, oh, I'm not so sure. That's not as easy for me to say, yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the reason I share that wide range. Because all of us have these places where we're like, yeah, yeah, those people but I don't know about those people. And if we really believe that the grace of God is wide open, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that, we can, that God's grace does not discriminate, then we have to believe that, yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which means that somebody has to tell them about this. In verses 14 through 15, there in Romans 10, Paul says, And how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our job living in the last days is to be so indiscriminately open to the grace of God in our lives that we are regularly receiving it so that we can regularly give it away to everyone here and to the ends of the earth. Friends, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be the most indiscriminate people on the face of the earth. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be the most indiscriminate people on the face of the earth. It is not our job to decide who gets to hear and who should get in. That is God's and God's alone. Our job from one side of the spectrum to the other is to say we are the ones who have received the indiscriminate grace of God ourselves and we are the ones who take it and we don't get to determine that person gets to hear and that person doesn't. That person can believe and that person can't. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the radical grace of God. And in the last days, this is what God is doing. So as we land the message this morning, living in the last days, live open, eyes open to the return of Jesus, indiscriminately open to God's grace. But I, I really believe that the Lord, for these things to continue to grow and develop in us, that this first one is where we lean into, living wide open to the Spirit. Because when repentance happens and God's forgiveness and restoration are poured out in continual ways, God says back in, uh, in chapter 2 that the rains will come and will water the land and will bring life back to dry ground. You know, when, when ground is dry, and drought has come, 
What is needed is not a downpour, a gigantic thunderstorm. Because if a gigantic thunderstorm comes, and, and you could pour gallons and buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of water on that, it's going to help to bring some life back. But because that ground is so hard, a lot of it's just going to run off, right? What is needed is the slow, long, steady deluge of rain that slowly sinks down from the top to the bottom and brings life back to the soil. I believe, and this is what I I really believe that the Lord's place for us to focus on in this message in the midst of all of this is this. In these last days, it really is about the long run with the Spirit's presence. It, It really is about the slow work of God as we're looking forward to the return of Christ and are aware of him, as we're sharing the gospel indiscriminately, but for the Spirit's outpouring, it is about a slow work in which we continue to seek, where we continue to repent, where we continue to be wide open to the person and work of God in order to receive all that he has for us. You know, think about it, what God did in Jesus' day. He didn't just send the Holy Spirit in one moment. He didn't even just send Jesus in a moment. He sent first John the Baptist, And John the Baptist went out into the wilderness and called the people of God to repentance. Come and be baptized. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Bringing a people's hearts, softening their hearts back to God. And then when John the Baptist's ministry had reached this high point, this culmination, here comes Jesus. And Jesus does the very same thing. He's baptized, and they're the Spirit of God. And for the next three years, he teaches, he preaches, he ministers, he equips, he invests in these men, the disciples. For three years, he's ministering. Until he goes to the cross. And as he goes to the cross and lays down his life, the work is finished, he says, as he dies on the cross. And then three days later, he's resurrected. And for 40 days, he's appearing to the disciples off and on, and they're trying to figure out what in the world has just happened, all these kinds of things. And finally, Jesus ascends into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, he says, before he goes, go back into Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, to be poured out. And for 10 days, they're in the upper room, and they are seeking, and they are praying. I mean, this isn't like, hey, you know what? Let's just go, and let's just pray together. We'll take even what I'm saying one day a week for fasting and prayer. This is like baptism for repentance, three years with Jesus, 40 days, 10 days of desperate seeking, waiting, and then the Holy Spirit comes. The outpouring of the Spirit, if it had happened at the day that John arrived, it would have just washed over. But God knew, and the ways that he works, is he knows when, our, when we need revived, that it's not about the deluge, it's not about the, 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 the hard rain at first. It's about the slow. It's about continuing to say, Holy Spirit, we desperate. we're desperate for you. We're seeking you. We need you. We need you. It's about as he shows us, we're in constant places of repentance where the Lord is just bringing us further and further along where we're worshiping, where we're seeking, where we're, we're coming to him and saying, God, we're desperate for you to the point where if we don't have you, 
the way you promised to give yourself to us, we can't live. And we are so used to, in America, getting things like that, that we don't know how to, to persevere after God. We don't know how to wait after him. And I believe the Lord has been beginning to do this and I believe is what he's calling us to individually as a church family of just coming into the Lord and saying, Lord, we're gonna seek you. We're gonna wait upon you. We're hungering for you. We're thirsting for you. And humility and hunger before God of saying, Lord, we just want you. We want you. We want you. And the Lord will do that work slowly in us and we'll receive more and more until it's at a point in time. I believe he's doing it. I know he's doing it. And just to call us into, in these last days, as we look for, with eyes wide open, the return of Christ, as we share indiscriminately the gospel of Jesus with everyone, that we would be wide open to the work of the Spirit and say, whatever you want to do, we seek you. We want you. We want you. In these last days, as we watch for his return, may we say yes, Lord, to all that you have for us by your spirit. The worship team, invite them to come to lead us in a closing song. But I want to just give us space for a moment. And it may be as simple as of a prayer before the Lord of saying, Lord, stir up this kind of hunger in greater ways in me. Greater want, greater desire. And friends, I believe just, I need to just say that it isn't about earning or deserving it. It's just about relationship with him. You can't get God to do more for you. <laughs> because he's already done everything for you. It's just simply coming to him with nothing to gain and nothing to lose to come and say, Lord, I just want, I want you to be satisfied with you. I love you. I know you love me. And I just want to be with you more. And that stirring of the hunger and desire, the Lord loves to do that. And so with nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove, just to come before the Lord. Lord, here I am. I just want you. I just want you. So take a moment just with the Lord. So often we have, we run off to everything. Just to take a moment with him. And I'll lead us in prayer and then the worship team can lead us in a closing song. So let's pray.